Chigue, an only way podcast series focusing on current matters in the Mi'kmaq community. Gwe, Akjalasi, Delawisi Sean Doak. Hello and welcome. My name is Sean Doak. I'm a proud member of the Lennox Island First Nation and communications officer with Olnuwe. Welcome to Jugue. I'm your host, and today I am fortunate to be speaking with residential school survivor Marlene Thomas from Lennox Island First Nation. And I want to say, Wallalan, thank you for joining me today, Marlene. What does that mean? Don't mention it. Don't mention it. Thank you for teaching me that. <laughs> um, so I was hoping to do this podcast earlier, but obviously Hurricane Fiona kind of threw a wrench into things. In the spirit of National Day for Truth and Reconciliation, I want to ask you about what it was like for you growing up, attending residential school, where you see things today, and kind of what you hope to see for the future. So first off, what does it mean to you to be Mi'kmaq? It means everything to me. I'm very proud to be a Mi'kmaq elder. I want to give you a little funny story about being called an elder. At first, I was upset about it because I didn't think I was an elder. Mm -hmm. And so I would tell people, I'm no elder, an elder of one I look up to. He came over and he said, you know, you need to stop doing that. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, <laughs> I'm getting... Told off, yeah, yeah you're getting told, yeah. And he explained why. He said, when people call you an elder and you say that to them, you're disrespecting them because really? you are their elder. So you need to stop saying that, he said. Uh -huh. So now I don't correct anybody. I just accept it. You've come to terms with it. I have. If the people consider me an elder, then I have to accept it. It's not my choice. Right. I felt as though when somebody was calling you an elder, they were putting you on a pedestal. And I don't want to be on this pedestal. So that's why I was a little uncomfortable with it. Not everybody considers me an elder, mm -hmm. but I do have people that do consider me an elder. Uh -huh. I've had people call me Nana. Even the non-native call me Nana. Really? Yeah. So that's an honor. My mom, Giju, is what I called her growing up. And everybody in the community called her Giju because her children and her grandchildren, they all called her Giju. Right. It was never me, Giju. It was Giju. Giju. And Giju is mom. So she was mom to everybody. She was everybody's mom. Right? Yeah. And she fed everybody. The you community, know? Yeah. yeah. And I've never once seen her correct anybody. Uh-huh. She just accepted she it. She accepted that. And she was kind of going with the flow there. Right? Yeah. And so I took from that after the elder talked to me. It's an honor to be bestowed Nana yes. elder. And respecting that honor. Right. See, I wasn't respecting <laughs> <laughs> I've learned to accept it. Yeah. Oh, that's well. Thank you for sharing that. That's no a, I. I always am curious to hear about how people come to terms with being an elder because there's no formal transition. It doesn't just happen overnight. It's a long process. And it's not even training. It's well, it is training, but you don't even realize you're being trained by your elders, you know, or by your family. It's very gradual, it seems. Like it, it just is. it happens over time. And one day maybe you wake up and you realize, oh, people are calling me an elder and I'm so I'm always curious to know how people get there because it's different for everybody. It is. So kind of would like to talk a little bit about your past. And I would just like to know, what was your experience like growing up on Lennox Island? Growing up on Lennox Island, I was not allowed to leave the yard. I used to hear kids playing next door neighbor or a little bit further up the road. But I could never go up the road to be with my peers because I would know them from school, right? How come you couldn't leave? It was just 
just the way it was? My protection. Oh, okay. I look at it now as my protection, but back yeah. then I thought it was a jail. Oh, your cage. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> of course. Yeah, my perimeter. <laughs> yeah, that's what it would feel like. Yeah. Yeah, 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 exactly. So in saying that, I had a very sheltered life, which was okay, but I used to wish the kids could come play with me. Come to your yard. Yeah. Yeah. But they probably had the same rule for their children, right? Right. Sometimes a kid would sneak off and sometimes I would try and sneak off, but I was always reeled back in going to school with my peers. I enjoyed school for the most part, but I've had things happen to me there too. Like there's the Indian day school, right? Yeah. So I'm part of that. I've had things happen to me there at the oh, school. My grandmother's told me stories as well. Yeah. There was stuff that happened that I never even told my parents. Mm-hmm. Never told anybody. My first day residential school, we were told not to speak our language and that if we did, we got punished and we got deloused. What's that? Deloused is like if you have bugs, nits, whatever. And so you get this big powder treatment in your hair and your hair is like gray from powder oh, and wow. it stinks. Anyway, that's like two or three days of that. It was different. Mm-hmm. A lot different than home and that was the other thing it's like you missed you missed your family your community your family your friends yeah Yeah. that was heartbreaking in itself what was your experience like attending residential school which one did you go to would it have been the The one one in in Shubanakity Nova Scotia (laughs) yeah yeah Shubanakity yeah when did you go there what year would that have been that would have been 65 66 and then 66 and 67 two years I was there okay and we kind of closed down the place. Okay. We were the last students that attended that attended and was going home for good because it was closing down. How did it feel to go home after that? Well, we went home in the summer, mm-hmm. which was good, but we didn't get to go home like Christmas or any of the holidays, but summer was ours and we got to go home and I was dreading going back. Yeah. You know, because well, in a sense you dreaded going back because of the ominous of it, but you missed your friends, too, that you've made. They always took care of each other. You looked out for one another, kind right. of. Right, because one time I took a shower because I didn't want to go outside to play. It was in the wintertime, and the nun caught me when mm-hmm. I got out of the shower, and she was very angry, and she said, what are you doing in here? You get outside. And she didn't even give me a chance to put my coat and hat and mitts on. And so I was out there freezing, my hair wet. So the girls all huddled around me to try and keep me warm. And Sister Gilberta came and, what are you guys hiding? Tell mm. the girls. And then so they all parted to where oh. I was. And I'm like, <laughs> my teeth clattering. Chattering. Yeah. <laughs> so she said, what are you doing out here with no, no winter wear on? And I said, Sister Helen Patrice was the teacher, sister, that Put threw me out. Yeah. yeah. After that, I never did see Sister Helen Patrice, so I don't know. Because she was a cruel. She Uh was more cruel than Some of the others. Yeah. Yeah. Cruelest one. Uh And so, I don't know, they must have sent her somewhere else or something because I've never seen her after that. Mm -hmm. Thankful that. Good good riddance, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And we were all glad that she was gone. Yeah. Again, I don't know if they're alive, Mm -hmm. those two nuns, but they're the two main ones that looked after us mm-hmm. while we're in there. I had a teacher that her name was Sister Mary Charles, and I liked her, but she always called us nincompoops. <laughs> 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 it was probably a term of endearment, but back then, yeah, you know. Not a great term to be called. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> 
So anyway, yeah. Was it hard to transition back to home, like the community in Lennox from Nova Scotia, from Shubenacadie? It was. Because when you go to school, and I've noticed it as I was growing up and I had children of my own and people were taken out as far as like going to social services or whatever, whatever. And when they come back, they were aliens. You know what I mean? They made you feel like you didn't belong. Yeah. Well, we got that too when we come home. Sort of outcast kind of. Right. Yeah. You know, you were gone. You don't belong no more. Yeah. You know? And it took you a while to reintegrate yourself. Yeah. Yeah. And it happened a lot. Not with just me. It happened especially the ones that went out to care. Social workers. Yeah. Social services, I guess. Yeah. That would even disconnect that much farther, I'm sure. Yeah. How does it feel for you to see the National Day for Truth and Reconciliation actually become federally recognized and even provincially recognized here in Abiquit, here in Prince Edward Island. How does that feel to kind of see that much emphasis and recognition put on that day? I'm elated. Yeah. You know, but it's too bad that it took finding the 215 children. That's when people started to open up their eyes and realize we weren't lying. We weren't. Because we would come home and we would tell stories about how children didn't come back. So when it became known that first time when they found the children, it really upset us survivors that are left. There's not too many of us left on on Lennox. When that happened, it was very emotional. And I called um, Jamie, because she works cultural with us, and I said, we need to do something. We need to have a talking circle and a healing circle, sacred fire, all that. She wasn't long getting it arranged, and, mm. and it really helped because we brought in our children from our school, and then other people brought in children from elsewhere because that was an eye-opener for the non-Native especially. Yeah. And for us, it was like... Validation. Validation, For, for right? something you've been saying for so long. Right. At first, I wasn't one to talk about it. At first... I didn't want to talk about it. I didn't want to talk about anything. And when when I came home, they said, oh, what was that like? What was Shivanagadi school like? Oh, great, fine. Yeah, bury it, put it away. Yeah, Yeah, and not talk about it. And there are still survivors that don't want to talk about it. And and you got to give them that. I mean, they've been through hell and back, especially the ones that are older than me. They went through hell and back. I know I was mistreated, but they were the ones that... Got the worst of it? Worst of it. You know, my aunt, my uncle, my mom was a survivor. I didn't even know it. Really? Yeah. My mom went there, and after there, she went into the sanatorium. She got TB in there. When she got out, of course, she got pregnant with me almost right away and didn't know what to do with me Uh because nobody taught her how to parent. Nobody taught her the facts of life and all that, you know? Those skills, yeah. Yeah. So... She didn't talk about it. She left me with a family, and I wasn't being looked after. I got outside. I crawled outside, got run over by a tractor. Oh, my God. Yeah, not the big wheel, but that little wheel. The little wheel. wheel. Yeah. Yeah. And so the Indian agent took me to the valley, got me casted up, and took me to my giju. Your mom. Who looked after me till I grew up, you Uh know. But I grew up pretty wild, too. And that's the other thing. Coming from residential school... You did a lot of drinking, and I was never one for drugs, but I did a lot of drinking and mm. and having a not a very good life, having mm. children, and I wasn't ready for children. And, you know, it's 
It sure wrecks your life. So when I was probably 25 or so, I went on my healing journey because I was with the Indian Residential School Survivor Group. We got offered to go for healing and we went out to Winnipeg and BC and different places. And the program that I took, we took was Returning to Spirit. It's a very good program, but nobody hears about it down this way, but it's still going up there. Oh, it's still happening. Oh, it's still happening. I have a friend, his name is Francois Parody. He runs it now. I've been trying to promote this returning to spirit because I think it would benefit a lot of people, especially people that are working with us survivors, right. with us day school survivors, yeah. with colonialism. Mm -hmm. It really helped me. A lot of stuff happened to me even growing up before I went to a residential school, before I went to day school, I was sexually abused. And so I was able to deal with that there. So I went like two years yeah. for that, for weeks at a time. And that really helped me all, out a lot. In fact, there was one time I called home, it was homework, and we had to call home and apologize to people that we have wronged. And the first ones I called was my family. Because I was very high strung, very, if you knew me when I was 25 or younger, you wouldn't have liked me. No. No. When I called home apologizing, they all thought I was dying. They, <sighs> I scared the heck out of them because people don't apologize just out of the blue. So they thought I was very sick and that I was atoning for my <laughs> sins. Oh, oh, oh God. <laughs> Well, thank goodness you weren't. <laughs> uh, yeah. Well, when I got home, they looked at me and were like, what the hell's the matter with you? <laughs> <laughs> they didn't expect that, I'm no, sure. No, they didn't. No. <laughs> I've had to do a lot of that. A lot of work. And then I've had to do a lot of letters because there was people that I had to write to to forgive them. And so it's a process and it, it worked for me. And I think it would work for a lot of people. You don't even have to be going to residential school. You just need to have trauma and colonialism is trauma. Yeah. Right. It is. It's part of it. Yeah. It's all part of it. Yeah. That's why I think it would be beneficial. You would even probably benefit from it. Anybody that works with people, then they would have a better understanding of what people went through or are still going through. Mm -hmm. because of all of it. It goes from generation to generation. I've seen... We didn't get here overnight. No, it took a long time to get here. Right. It's going to take a long time. And it's going to take us a long time because we weren't allowed to practice our ceremonies and all that. For me, I didn't even get into my ceremonies until hmm, maybe I was like 40. Yeah. And you started your kind of healing journey when you were about 25, right? 25. Yeah. But it took me a long, long time, time, long time. And when I say I'm on my healing journey, I'm still. Yeah. And I'll probably be on it till I die. I imagine it's lifelong. It is. There might be things that I didn't even address yet mm -hmm. because it didn't. You know, your mind has a way of protecting you. So there's. This is something I've talked to my grandmother about. And, and, and memories get buried by your mind to protect yourself. And there are things where there'll be an event and it triggers a memory right. and it resurfaces. And then it's like all of a sudden you're right back there. It happens a lot. And there will always be triggers. Mm -hmm. It could be music. It could be gum. It could be anything, mm -hmm. anything at all. Mm -hmm. Or even seeing your peers or your children hurting. 
Mm. you remember. I have a, a letter that my granddaughter wrote to me. She thanked me for shielding her parents, not her father, but her mother and all her uncles. She was thanking me for shielding them from all my pains. When people are affected and not well, they affect their children. Absolutely. And then their children affect their grandchildren. So in this letter, she was thanking me for protecting my kids. And then she feels as though I was the big instrument on keeping them safe. Mm. And that must have been difficult to do. Well, yeah. And I didn't even realize I was doing it because like when my kids were growing up, I wouldn't drink around them. I drank. Mm -hmm. I wouldn't even go home. Because I didn't want my kids to see this. Where I saw it, I didn't want my kids to see it. Yeah. So it's little things like that. I might have been a mean old mom, but I was a sober mom. Yes. <laughs> you know yeah, what I mean? Absolutely. And yeah. that's really important. I mean, and that would be difficult for some people to do, I'm sure, to have that kind of barrier and protect your children in that way. I can imagine it must have been kind of difficult. Well, I had children before the four that I have at home that I reared. But I lost them to social services. I didn't want that to happen anymore. I attribute that to residential school. Nobody, even my mom, she was old when she took me and she was in her 60s. Her ways were old ways and I used to resent them. But now I, I'm happy to say that she was protecting me, uh -huh. you know. She didn't want to expose you to those right? sorts of things. Yeah. Right. So that's what my childhood was like. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Rough, but... But you made it through. And this kind of leads me to my next question. What has kept you going in life? How have you continued to kind of persevere? I think a lot of it was in returning to spirit. They showed you that when we had an incident when we were four, we didn't deal with it. But our way of dealing was putting it on the shelf and leaving it there. And so when I went to returning spirit, I had all these shelves that I had stories stored on, they helped me deal with that. But up until 25, I think a lot of it was um, my drinking, you know, um, my friends. Mm -hmm. um, not to say that's bad because I didn't let it get out of hand. Mm -hmm. I probably could have easily become an alcoholic. But having Irene, my oldest one that I reared, that kind of, I was 20 when I had her. And so like that kind of smartened me up and I asked for help. Like Marilyn back then was our nurse and she was always there to help and do parenting skills and that sort of stuff. So in that way, it was the kids that saved me. Uh -huh. It was my kids. Whereas the other three that I didn't rear, I didn't know how. And I didn't have any guidance. Mm -hmm. And so to me, I think that's why I forgave my mom all those years, because I finally then realized that she didn't know how to parent. Because mm -hmm. at that point, I just started learning that she was at residential school. Mm -hmm. And so that kind of made a whole lot of sense with me then. Yeah, it started yeah. to click. You didn't find that out until later, until you're about 20 or so? Yeah, uh -huh. yeah, probably even a little older. Yeah. When I had my kids, I sort of let my anger go with her because it kind of gave me a better understanding. It's hard to be a parent. I'm sure your perspective changed when you had your own, you know, you're <laughs> right? trying to, yeah. yeah. I want to ask you about your visit to the Vatican because that was mm -hmm. historic and monumental, I'm sure. 
You don't even know the half of it. Ah, well, I want to tell me the half. Tell me the whole of it. <laughs> I want to know what it was like uh, for you to be there in person and hear the Pope's apology and to be front row. You had a front row seat. Uh, not by choice. No. <laughs> I took my granddaughter Mackenzie with me. Mm-hmm. As my support person, and she was wonderful. She was good. The first two days we were touring, they were showing us the sights and whatnot. And I've been to Rome before, not to see the Pope, but anyway. So the second day, no, third day, I got sick, really sick. I thought I was having a heart attack, but I didn't. It wasn't. It was pancreatitis. Mm-hmm. So I was in the hospital for seven days and no food, no nothing, just intravenous. And so after the seven days, I was just starting to feel better. and But they still weren't feeding me, but I was getting pretty hungry. I imagine. And then um, COVID hit Oh, while I was in the hospital. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Did you end up catching COVID as well? Yes, in the hospital. Oh, my gosh. And so I was there for another seven days. I had my vaccines, but... You know, when you travel, you take that chance, right? That's the risk. And my granddaughter didn't get it at that point. But, yeah, we couldn't see each other because I was in isolation. Yeah. And she couldn't come see me. And So, anyway, come Friday, Friday we were supposed to meet with the Pope with everybody. I missed the meeting with him one-on-one and because I was in the hospital. What I wanted to do was tell my mom's story. Okay. Because I had already dealt with my story and I'd already give, forgiven and all that stuff. But yeah. my mom never got to tell her story. And she had died, my biological mom. Mm-hmm. So in saying that, I was in that full seven days. So Friday, we were to have a meeting with the Pope. And I wanted to get out and go see him. And they recommended not. And that morning, I took a COVID, they gave me a COVID test. How did that go? Well, I didn't know right away. Oh, okay. So I said, I'm going anyway. I said, I didn't come all the way to Rome to not see him. Right. <laughs> so I went out. <laughs> you went. <laughs> I just told my Mackenzie and, and our friend that was helping me, come and get me, break me out. Yeah. <laughs> so they did, and they didn't stop me. Uh-huh. So I went, and Chief Phil Fontaine was in the front row, and he told him, you put her right here with me. <laughs> oh, that's nice. He saved your seat. Yeah, he saved me front row seat. And uh, so that's how I came to be in the front front row. After that whole thing, we went back to the motel because I had no intention of going back to the hospital because the next day, Saturday, we were going to be coming home. This was like the last hurrah. Yeah. And so... <laughs> I got word, or Mackenzie got word saying that your grandmother needs to come back. She tested positive. (laughs) (laughs) So I went up to my room and I cried and I said, I'm not going back. (laughs) I was stubborn. So I went to sleep. I fell asleep. Yeah. Over, over tired, I guess, and excited. And so when I woke up, they all came at me and they said, you have to go back. You can't travel. They Mm -hmm. won't let you travel home. You have to go back until you get cleared. Mm. So I went back and I was pretty upset, but 
Hopefully you didn't have to spend too long there. Seven days. Seven more days. Yeah. So 14 days altogether and the 15th day I got out and they weren't even wanting to let me go. I don't know what the heck happened, but they weren't. <laughs> I had my suitcase packed and everything. I was ready to walk out. You were ready to go home. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, I got out and the next day we all come home. So that was what Rome was like. Well, <laughs> sounds like it was hell. <laughs> it was. Yeah. First but, couple of days was good, but after that it was. But you got to hear the Pope speak while you were there? Yes. When I when I walked out of the hospital and went I got to hear his speech. It was all in Italian, but they had a pamphlet, and it was everything he said in the pamphlet. Translated for yeah. you to be able to read. Yeah. I was okay with that, but uh, something was missing, I found. Yeah, and what do you think it was that was missing? Well, I realize now, I think it was, I was waiting for him to say genocide. Uh-huh. And he wasn't saying it. He didn't say that word. No. Do you think much has changed in terms of how the public view residential schools and the darker parts of Canada's legacy uh, with Indigenous peoples? Do you think there's been a shift or any sort of change? In I think there's a small shift, but there's a comment out there that I want to straighten out. People say to us, get over it. And to me, it's not something you can get over. No. If the table was reversed, and we did that to the non-Indigenous people's kids, would they be so quick to forgive us? Or would they would they be hurting when we would tell them, get over it? Mm, easier said than done, I How think. How can they even say that? Not, not all non-Indigenous no. do this, but there are some. Yeah. And that hurts because there's no way of them knowing how you can get over it. No. I don't think truly they can. No, I think it's something you probably have to learn to live with. But you never truly get over it, I don't right? think. You can forgive, but you can't forget. That's right. And to educate people on that, yeah. just just on that little part. I think that comment comes from a lack of understanding. It is, but it still hurts. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. It doesn't make it any less hurtful. Right. Yeah. And in fact, I think it highlights how much work there is to do when it comes to educating people about what happened because the government did a heck of a job trying to sweep that under the rug for many, many years. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And that's why I say there's little change, but very little. Do you think we're on the right track? We're on the right track. Yeah. I think a lot of non-Indigenous people are empathetic to us and they want to do what they want to do, what they can do, what they will do. They all want to be a part of the reconciliation, you know, but that's a big word. When I took that program, Returning to Spirit, the first thing we did was face-to-face -face with the nuns and priests, mm -hmm. with the survivors, and that was thrown around way back then. And that would have been right probably in the, my 30s. I'm 68 now, so that's 38 years ago. That word was being thrown around, reconciliation, and... We're far from it yet, mm -hmm. you know? I've heard Murray Sinclair, he's talked about this before, and he said, you know, it's taken over 300 years to kind of get to where we are now. Right. And it's going to take... Another 300 Another years. 300, at least. Like, it's going to take a long time to kind of work through and kind of undo and move in a new direction. And I think it speaks to what you're saying, too. Yeah. Well, Will Allen, thank you once again, Marlene. I really no appreciate problem. your time today. and. And I just want to say, Wulaliok, thank you to all those out there who are listening and stay tuned for our next episode. Sitnogama. Sitnogama.
online relations. To find out more about Ulnui and the Megamot Rights reconciliation process, visit ulnui.ca.